get through this. I'm your host, Isak Bella, and I hope you leave today's episode feeling like you will conquer whatever challenge you're being faced with right now. Because you will. We will. Thanks for pressing play on today's episode. Hello, everyone, and thank you for tuning in to today's episode of We're Going to Get Through This. I am so grateful and I am so excited to introduce you to today's guest, Melody Godfred. She is the author of my favorite self-love poetry book or books because she just released her second, The Shift. I take her self-love poetry book with me everywhere. No joke, when I travel, I take this book with me. It stays on my nightstand when I'm at home. It is my Bible. If you follow me on Instagram, you've definitely seen poems from this book on my page. She is the self-love philosopher. She's a poet. She's an author. She's a speaker. And she is devoted to empowering people to love themselves and transform their lives. This is a very special episode to me. Melody writes and speaks to me in a way that no one else ever can or ever will. She touches my soul with her words, and you'll hear that through the many tears I shed in this episode. Not only do we cover self-love and the power that comes with choosing yourself, but we are really diving into the power that comes with advocating for yourself, especially if you're a woman facing health problems in today's world how important it is to listen to your body and to choose yourself every day and to advocate and speak up for yourself every day. I can't wait for you to hear this episode. Thank you for tuning in and thank you to Melody for being with me today and for sharing her story. I'm Melody Godfred. I am the self-love philosopher. I am proud to be a poet, an author, a speaker, and an entrepreneur who has devoted my life to helping people love themselves so they can transform their lives. And today I'm just grateful to be here with you. I'm grateful to be here with you too. I keep your book by my bed. I take it with me when I travel. I like, I mean, you see it, put pictures of like the poet poems that I love the most on my Instagram. It really is like such a healing piece of literature. Thank you for putting that out into the world, truly. Thank you for helping me share it, make it possible. And I sometimes I'll start it over from the beginning and it, it'll feel like I'm reading it for the first time. It doesn't get old ever. There's something about self-love poetry that feels just perennial. You know, I've read other books and that's the one that you can just keep coming home to and somehow you'll get the poem you need. Like if you flip to a page, it's almost like an oracle. There's this beautiful alignment between self and the pages of this book where whether you start at the beginning or just go to a random page, you find your way to the poem that you need. Absolutely. I'm like shocked every time. Like, how did she know I needed to read these exact words? My best friend sent it to me and he feels the same way. He's like, this book just speaks to me. So thank you. No, thank you. I love that it resonates so deeply. I mean, I wrote those poems primarily over the course of five years during the process of my own self-love journey. Every poem came from the most vulnerable place and also was written while witnessing other women going through the same thing. Because as someone who's been in the self-love space and has been inviting people to share their stories with me for almost eight years now, Every I'm I'm an empath. So every time someone shares their story with me, it becomes part of my DNA. And I think you can feel that when you read the poems. Absolutely. 
if I remember correctly, you wrote one for your daughter in the book as well. And I really love that too. I mean, it's so important. We can start this journey at any age. And I love that you are like empowering her with these words so early. I think intrinsically, we all have it within us to embrace our authentic selves and to move through the world from a place of wholeness. I think the problem is the older we get, the more we feel this societal pressure to conform to perfection, to dull ourselves, to fit in, to, you know, let whatever trauma we experience start changing our narrative or about who we are and what life has to offer us. And with my kids, I have three kids, they're all 10 and under. I am realizing that my role as a mother is as much about helping them preserve who they already are as it is about teaching them anything new. And I'm always blown away by how quickly they understand the messaging around self-love and self-care and authenticity. And I have to believe it's because that is our natural state of being. Right. And so much of the work I do is an unraveling of everything that happened to us so that we can get back to that original state. Wow. Yeah. I mean, I don't have any experience as a mother, but I would hope that like, if I ever do step into that role, that's like exactly what I would do as well. Just like teach my kids to like, stay true to who they are. The world tries to change you. Yeah. And I tell each of their teachers now at the beginning of the year, I tell them I was raised at a time where the highest thing you could request of a child is achievement. Like everything was measured by achievement in school. And I tell them, I'm like, my values as a parent and what I want you to think about when you're teaching my child is instead of achievement, can we focus on authenticity and joy? If my kids are being authentic and if my kids are being joyful, then we are all winning. Like, I actually don't care if they achieve anything because if they are authentic and joyful, they will be who they are meant to be on this planet. And that is their highest contribution is that authentic self that no one else can replicate. That is powerful. How do teachers respond when you say that? They're really surprised because usually parents are in there and they want their kids to get A's and to have every extracurricular and to be involved in everything and to excel. And I think it's this moment of like, hmm, this is different. And I'm grateful because just this week I had a meeting with one of my daughter's teachers and we were talking about how when he assigns her something, she has a tendency to write a lot. Like she will take what should be four sentences and write two pages and then get overwhelmed because it's like 9 p.m. and she's not done with her homework. And so I told them, I'm like, I hope it's okay with you. I'm trying to teach her that not every situation deserves your best. And sometimes it's okay to do less. And to my great surprise, he was like, I totally agree. Not every situation deserves her best because her best is a lot. And I'm like, exactly. It's too much for a simple homework assignment where you just want her to reflect on something for a couple sentences. Writing two pages is her best, but it's also too much. And he agreed. Wow. And so that really powerful alignment because I thought he was going to say like, what kind of parent are you? Like you're not to do her best. That feels very counterintuitive. But 
preserving her mental health is more important to me. Absolutely. Yeah. We're taught from such a young age to like compete and reach for these grades and accolades that we don't even at that age, we don't even know why they're important. So to like encourage her to act intuitively and rest is I think going to be way more valuable than any A. <laughs> Yeah, and it'll protect her against burnout so she can continue to have her best accessible to her. And like, for me, when I look at her, I'm like, your best is the poem you write every night before bed. Like she has committed to writing a poem a night. Wow. Because she's creative and has so much, such a beautiful perspective. And if she's like writing a five page essay instead of a paragraph, like she'll be burnt out. That poem be silenced by fatigue. So it's about balancing and holding space for all these different ways she can express herself and making sure she has enough energy to get to that bedtime ritual that she has, which is so beautiful. Wow. It's giving mom of the year. (laughs) Well, this is the power of self-love. It's really healing ourselves. We can decide how we want to be part of the world. And whether that's as a friend, as a mother, as a boss, you know, how we interact with others is directly a reflection of how we interact with ourselves. And as someone who is a perfectionist achiever for a very long time, I was not very nice to myself. As a result, my tolerance for other people was a lot lower. I did the same excellence and perfection and unequivocal rightness and goodness from everyone all the time. And that kind of made it hard to be around me, especially in my marriage, because relationships need to be fluid and forgiving. And there's no room for that in the absolute world of perfection. I'm curious when that shift, no pun intended, but I do want to talk about your new book, when and why that shift occurred. Well, for me, I think it's when I checked off all the boxes that a perfectionist achiever would aspire to. I, you know, got married, I had children, I had a house, I had a career, I had all these things that I thought I was supposed to do and I wasn't happy. And I thought that happiness was the reward you got for achieving. I I really thought that like, that's what was waiting for me, the pot of gold. For me personally, I didn't think it was like money or acknowledgement. It was like, well, if I do all these things, I'll be happy when I get there. And I got there and this was around 2015 and I I was missing an action. I was so disconnected from my authentic self. I was so disconnected from being embodied, like being in my physical body that I was just tired and and brittle and broken. And so that's really when I decided I need to commit to relearning who I am and understanding how I need to be in this world so that I can have this happiness that I worked so hard to get to. And that's when I discovered the phrase self-love and when I originally came up with the idea for the self-love pinky ring, which was my way of having a physical reminder that I deserve to be a priority in my own life and that I need to put in the work to become a little bit more self-aware and better aligned in terms of the way I was living and who I actually am. And that is the shift, right? That was my shift was having it all, but not having myself. Oh, in the last eight years, I've done a lot of work, not only to understand myself, but to build a world around me that's in alignment with my authentic self. And that's how I went from lawyer turned entrepreneur to now a full-time poet and author and speaker, which is 
you know, my dream come true in terms of what I feel like I was put on this planet to do. I believe it's absolutely your purpose. I did not know that you were a lawyer before this. Wow. Oh, yeah. That was the pinnacle of that achievement train ascension. I was a musician when I was young. I wrote poetry and songs and played the piano from when I was four years old. But then I went to a really competitive high school, like one of the best in the country. And I started feeling like, well, you know, that's not serious. Like I can't pursue like a creative path. And even though when I applied to college, I actually selected a music major. I also, to hedge my bets, was a double major in business. And from, you know, that point, everything was about, well, what makes more sense? Like what is safer thing to do? And that led me to law school because when I graduated from college, I didn't know what my next step was. And all it took was the slightest nudge from my parents to be like, well, you're so smart. Like just go to law school. You'd be a great lawyer. And I was like, okay. And it took being a really successful, you know, straight out of law school lawyer at a big prestigious law firm to realize that like, again, I was on the 20th floor with an ocean view. I had checked off all the boxes, but where was I? Like I was not there. And that's really when I made my first major course correction was courage to leave, which was very hard. Yeah. I mean, we're told like our whole lives to chase like security and stability. And I understand that. I mean, the bills have to be paid, but also like, why can't there be a balance? Why can't it be both? Why can't you also like have your passions and and things on the side or find ways to make that work? I would love to like learn more about the step you took to leave and and how you like reach that moment? Well, a lot of it felt like, and, and remember earlier I said I was not embodied, right? Like I did not have a connection with my body until my mid thirties. I was totally cerebral. Everything was driven by my like analytic, analytical ego self. It was all about like what makes the most sense up here in my head and not so much where can I hold space for my heart and my body? And about six months into being a litigation attorney, I started having hallucinations at night. Wow. And this is my body expresses deep anxiety is I see things that aren't there. I'm like half asleep, half awake. And all of a sudden there will be spiders crawling out of the ceiling. There will be people standing in the room and I'm awake enough to know that I'm in waking life, but I can't them to stop. And it just got worse and worse and worse. And the day I quit, they stopped. <laughs> so wow. Yeah. It was a very quick recovery, at least on that level. And now that's become my barometer, like in the intervening, like 12 or 13 years since I left that career, every now and then I'll have a night where I see something that I know isn't real. And that's my body being like, Hey, you need to pay attention. Something is not right here. And I think we all have those cues. Absolutely. For me, that's how it manifests. For you, it might be a twitch in your left eye. It might be a ache in your hip. And when we don't honor what our intuition is saying to us, your body activates and and does its best to get your attention. Yes. It certainly got mine. I've always said like your body knows like as much as you want to resist it, your body knows for me, mine's in my stomach. It always has been. And that's when I know like you're not 
in a situation where you feel safe, where you feel happy, where you feel fulfilled. And it takes a lot of like reprogramming to, which sounds so funny to listen to your body. Cause it's like your first, <laughs> it's, right. It should be intuitive. And yet, right. You know, I'm sitting here telling you like, oh, I was a lawyer. And then my body told me I need to quit. Like you would think that would have been that was 2009. Like you would have thought that, okay, Melody in 2009 learned that her body knows what's best and she learned how to listen to it. But no, of course I didn't. That's why in 2015 or 2016, I got diagnosed with the thyroid nodule, which is a growth in your thyroid. And that was really when my body started trying to get my attention. And it took over five years for me to actually get the care, the knowledge, the resources I needed to be able to start resolving that health issue. And it was as much about learning to speak my truth and honor my needs as it was about speaking to my doctors and demanding better care. And, you know, the thyroid is the center of your body. It controls everything from head to toe. It's also where your throat chakra is. And so it's no surprise that in suppressing my feelings and bearing my emotions that I developed an issue in the most central place when it comes to expressing yourself. Uh, the most recent therapist I had, like whenever I would talk about certain parts of my body not feeling good, or she would always go back to like the chakras and okay, your throat hurts. What does that mean? Are you not like using your voice? You're not advocating for yourself. So. I completely like agree and believe in this. I would love to learn more about like what you were diagnosed with. I know we briefly talked about it and I know you said you think more women should know about this because one in you said one in three of us will actually it's even more than that. So thyroid issues have a much larger impact on women than men across the board. Surprise. Women have a tendency not to voice themselves. But when you drill down into the actual statistics, 30% of women in their 30s will have a thyroid nodule or some other thyroid issues. 40% of women in their 40s, 50% of women in their 50s. So basically, by the time we're 50, either you or your best friend will have a thyroid issue. Wow. And this is an area of healthcare that is so utterly misunderstood, underdiagnosed, and improperly treated if it's treated at all. And I don't want to say we live in like a gendered society, but I mean, like, come on, patriarchy. Like, I, yeah. If this was an issue that impacted men, where 50% of men were in a position where they would feel like shit from head to toe, I have to believe that we would have resolved this by now. And yet, absolutely. Like this silent killer of a woman's joy, of her sex drive, of her emotional well being, of her physical experience, it leads to weight gain, dizziness, you get cold, you lose your hair, your skin gets dry, you get depressed, you get brain fog, you don't remember anything. Like, I'm sure there's someone who's listening to this that's like, Yes. Oh, and you gain weight. Like your body just doesn't feel like your own anymore. And you're like, oh, yes, yes, yes. I could say all these symptoms. So many women listening will be like, that's me. And yet they go to the doctor, they have their annual checkup, 
the blood work is fine. And I'm using air quotes because like, if I hear that phrase, but your blood work is fine. I was told that for five years, for five years, my thyroid health deteriorated to such an extent that I ended up having to advocate for myself to get a treatment done because an Instagram follower told me about it. Not because my doctor told me about it, but because I was sharing about my health journey on Instagram and somebody said, oh, there's treatment for that that doesn't involve removing your thyroid because that is the number one treatment in the United States. You have a problem with your thyroid. You're given the option eventually of, well, let's just take it all out. Whereas I was able to get what is called RF ablation for my nodule, which is the growth I was talking about. I was, I walked into the hospital. I was awake. It was all local. And then I walked out two hours later. Wow. It was totally non-invasive and took what was like a seven inch lump in my neck and made it something that's not even visible. Like you're looking at me right now. We're on zoom. Right. There's nothing. You can't tell the difference on one side of my neck and the other. Whereas if I were to send you a picture and I will send you a picture, there was a growth on the side of my neck that my doctor at the time was perfectly happy just watching and seeing because my blood work was quote unquote normal. And you're probably wondering like, why are we talking about thyroid health? Like she's a self-love poet. Like what do these things have to do with each other? But for me, they have everything to do with each other because a, I was not expressing myself or understanding my needs. I was living in the shadow of who I thought I was supposed to be. And I do believe that was the biggest reason why I developed this health issue. And the other reason is even once I discovered that I had this problem, I was constantly being met by people telling me I was fine, even though I knew intuitively I was not fine. And I think so many of us, we go to the expert and we put our trust in them because we're supposed to when we are the expert of our own experience. And if something doesn't feel right, it is up to us to love ourselves enough to keep pursuing our optimal health because at Optimal optimal means right for you. It doesn't mean you're within a specific range on a blood test. And I think we're going to start hearing more and more about optimal health. And that is rooted in self-love because you yourself are the only one who truly knows what's optimal for you. Ah, this makes me so emotional. I mean, there's so many women I know who are listening to this, like one of my best friends. It took her a year for someone to like take her seriously. I think I told you this. Her to, she was like, something is wrong. Like, I do not feel good. I'm waking up with flare ups. And they're like, it's an allergy. It's this and this, it's that. And it took her a whole year for someone to discover that she had an autoimmune disease. And like, so much can happen in that time. Like, for you, five years of your thyroid health deteriorating and it's infuriating. I know. And it just feels so unfair. And it's so unfair. Yeah. It's so unfair. You know, a friend of mine got diagnosed with cancer. Yeah. And she's been going to doctors for two years saying, I don't feel good. And what is most alarming is they like pumped her full of steroids, which made the cancer worse. And they just dismissed her. I mean, even me, when I would go to my thyroid doctor and I would be like, Hey, I used to have a great sex drive. Like it was, and talk about like full circle moment. When I was a teenager, my greatest sense of shame was that I wanted sex, like that I was dripping it. Here I am in my thirties 
And my greatest sense of shame is there's no sex left in me. See, that makes me emotional. And the doctor in his notes wrote, needs couples therapy. And this is an endocrinologist. And I'm sitting here telling him, I feel dead inside. Yeah. And later I saw in his notes, needs, needs therapy. And it wasn't that I needed therapy. It's that my body was not doing well. Right. My hormones were totally out of whack. And this silencing of women and their needs, the truth of the matter is as much as society does it to us, we also do it to ourselves because we subscribe to this narrative that we should be small and likable and perfect. And every day we go on social media and we absorb all this messaging that just keeps reinforcing how insignificant we are right. as individual people. And I'm done with it. Like I am so done. And the reason I write poetry and the reason I wrote, for example, the shift is because I do believe we all have the power to shift in our lives at any given moment and choose to move through the world from a place of self-love, from a place of gratitude, from a place of deep joy. And, you know, there's this risk, right? Like I'm saying this right now and people will be like, that's toxic positivity. Like, what about, you know, the range of emotions people have? What about, you know, just making space for everything? What about acknowledging mental health? Like, please understand that I say all of this with an acknowledgement that we all have things that give us, again, a path towards our optimal well-being. And for a lot of people, it isn't just flipping a switch. That being said, we do have autonomy, have power, and we do have choice as much as this world is trying to strip away all of those things from us every single day. And the choice I've made is to make self-love a daily practice that I exercise, not just through how I treat my body, but also how I direct my mind and how I direct my mind is to stop living in this perpetual state of either regret about the past or fear about the future. I am rooted in the present and my present is a joyful, grateful, nurturing and empowering place that allows me the opportunity to do what I've been doing for my health, for example, which is if I'm seeing a doctor and he's telling me I'm fine, but I don't feel fine, I'm going to leave that doctor. I'm going to find someone else. If I go, you know, like, and this is not just with regard to health. If I'm doing work that no longer serves my purpose, I'm going to have the courage to walk away from it, which is what I've done in the past two years. You know, a year ago, I was running an e-commerce jewelry business that I loved because I was selling the self-love pinky ring. And every time a woman put that ring on, I felt like, oh, there goes another chosen woman. Like she has chosen herself. And there was something so powerful about that symbol and creating space for women to commit to themselves that way. And yet running that business was driving me into the ground. I'm a solo entrepreneur. And that meant 
that I was ultimately responsible for running the website, customer service, dealing with FedEx, dealing with EU regulatory requirements, dealing with change supply costs, sourcing, marketing, advertising, branding, social media. I was carrying all of that for eight years while running a resume writing business that I was doing prior to that for most of it, raising three kids, writing three books, and trying to be a human being for myself. And one of the lessons I've learned through my journey is the the no you say to the world is a yes you say to yourself. Oof. And so in saying boundaries as a no, what is it you're saying yes to? Right. And I'm learning to say yes to myself. I love this. Without guilt, without shame, without regret, without fear. Yes to myself is the most present I can be. Mm-hmm. When you say yes to yourself, you're like allowing another person to like live their authentic truth and say yes to their self. I always say by setting a boundary, like you're allowing someone else to set their own. I think sometimes we think we have to be everything to everyone that that's the better option, but you're not, I don't know. I, I just don't think like, I think when we choose ourselves, other people will choose themselves as well. And yeah, I think this is a great message, not only about like self-love, but the power in sharing your story. And that doesn't have to be online or in a public forum, but being honest about where you are in life, like helped you get to your place of discovering what was wrong. And I just, I love that. Like if you didn't open up about where you were in your thyroid journey, would you have found that treatment? Like, oh, I really wouldn't have. And it has taught me, it's had so many ripple effects because I would go on Instagram and just share what was going on with my thyroid because I felt that when I realized I'm like a educated, privileged, highly resourced person. And until my doctor told me I had a thyroid nodule during a routine visit, I didn't even really know I had a thyroid. Like it was not on my radar at all. And I certainly not heard the phrase thyroid nodule. And so I took it upon myself to share because I thought, well, I didn't know about this. I bet other people don't know about this. And it was in that sharing that Claire Perkins in Chicago, I like will remember her name for the rest of my life, messaged me and said, hey, you should look into this treatment. So I did. I actually took it to my original doctor and he's like, oh yeah, I've heard of that. I'll get back to you. And he never got back to me. Wow. Yep. And that's when I switched to a different doctor, Dr. Jordan Geller in Los Angeles is amazing in case anyone needs a thyroid doctor who will actually take you seriously. Then what's amazing is once I had this RF ablation treatment done and it fixed my thyroid nodule and improved my blood work and started me on my path, I posted about that on Instagram. And now at least once a month, because the hashtag is so infrequently used, I'll get a message from someone who has found me through the hashtag RF ablation. And they're like, hey, can you tell me more about this? I got an email a few weeks ago from Mozambique. Wow. Mozambique. Like the impact of that, like little me sharing about my little experience in life now might help someone across the world get a treatment that they need. How does that feel? It makes me want to cry. Yeah. It feels like it also makes me feel like I'm right that our greatest calling on this planet is simply to be ourselves. Absolutely. In being myself, I promise you, I have saved more than one life. And maybe it was through a poem I wrote that made someone feel seen. You know, I I had someone message me that like reading my book, The Shift, 
was the first time after 20 years, they felt like they were healing from the loss of their brother. Right? Like, can you imagine? Like, you spend your whole life grieving and then a poem makes you feel like you can heal. Like, anytime I put myself out there and someone feels me, it makes me feel like, okay, like, I am doing what I'm meant to do because I think we all have the capacity to be of service. And my belief is that you are of service when you are your authentic self. Absolutely. That's where it comes from. We don't need to like claw for purpose. We don't need to search to discover. We just need to honor. Yes. And when you honor yourself, you become a gift to the world. Yes. And your story and your art, it matters. I think we get so caught up and well, everybody's doing this and that, and there's no need for me, but that's not true. Even if you can just touch one person, like that's enough, that's more than enough, but you have to live your authentic self to do that. And a lot of people don't know how, and that's why another reason why I've made such a big pivot in my career is because when I told women put on this self-love pinky ring and choose yourself. It was like a shockwave, right? It went viral stories all around the world, sales in 50 countries in like two months. I mean, it was like crazy. And it really touched on this nerve because people clearly wanted this moment. Even if they didn't know they wanted to choose themselves, once invited to, they did. But then I got the follow-up emails and the follow-up questions, which were like, okay, I got the ring. I put it on. I made a pinky promise to love myself. I have chosen myself. What does that mean? That is that the question. What does it mean to choose yourself? What does it mean to love yourself? And that's really what inspired me to start writing. Like writing was my passion when I was young. And it took being asked this question by my community to reignite that for me. And so I started writing. And the first book I wrote was The ABCs of Self-Love. I wrote The ABCs of Self-Love as a guidebook to answer the question. And so every letter of the book is a different way to love yourself. A is for authenticity. B is for boundaries, which we just spoke about. And I wanted to make self-love actionable because it's more than just a feeling. It's a daily tool that presents in so many different ways. And that I think is why I'm here now is just to continually keep teaching, learning, exploring, reinforcing, whether it's in the form of the ABCs of self-love, which is a guided journal or self-love poetry or the shift, which are poetry. I feel like my job is not just to tell you to love yourself, but to hold your hand as we explore what that looks like together. I feel like I'm holding your hand every time I read that book. And I honestly, I mean, it. you and, and your work couldn't have come into my life at a better time. And it, I just, I can't put into words. It, it touches me in a way that like, no therapist or any other resource I've ever had ha- has, it makes me feel like so seen and understood. You you really do have a gift and I can see you're living your authentic self and purpose through everything that you do. Thank you. Not that you needed to hear that, but I, just so you know from someone. No, it feels good. Yeah. It feels good because it's been a long road, you know? I always joke. I'm like, I'm a 10 year overnight success. (laughs) Because, you know, when I left my job as a lawyer, the reason I gave my boss, who was the person who had hired me, and he was shocked. I mean, when I walked 
Trump's office, I was like his star. And so I was like, I'm leaving. And he said, why? I said, because I have to write a book. And I know if I don't do it now, if I don't leave now, and if I don't do it now, I'm never going to do it because the perks of being here are too good. Right. And I did leave and write a book. So I quit October 1st. And November 1st was National Novel Writing Month, which is this thing that happens every year where people around the world commit to writing a book from scratch. Yes. 30 days. And I did that. I wrote my first book in November of 2009. And I thought this was it. I'm like, that's it. I'm an author. I'm going to get an agent. I'm going to get a book deal. I'm going to get a movie deal. Like this is happening. And it, it definitely did not happen. I tried to do all those things and I got like 75 no's. I eventually self-published, but with a lot of shame and like well before it was like cool to self-publish. Like no one was self-publishing in 2010, but I did. And then I felt like a huge failure and I had left this career as a lawyer. I said I was going to make this book, like no one cared, but that led me to starting a writing agency, which became a career development agency, which led to me witnessing and helping craft the stories of thousands of people to help them get their dream jobs, which was my first exploration of helping people love themselves. Because I would always tell people like, you're not here for the resume. You're here for the interview because right. as I interview you, you are going to get to know yourself and you're going to claim parts of yourself that you didn't even know you could claim. And that was my first experience in how good it feels to make people recognize their wholeness and value. And that led to later the self-love pinky ring and the Fred and Far self-love movement, which then became the inspiration and catalyst behind me writing about self-love. The ABCs of self-love came, then self-love poetry, both of which were first self-published, but this time with no shame because I found my voice and my community. And in the end, it was in 2020 that a publisher came to me. So 10 years after I quit my job and self-published my book, a publisher came to me and signed me to a book deal. Wow. To bring self-love poetry, the ABCs of self-love and the shift to a broader audience. And so I'm a 10-year overnight success. Well, that's, you know, it was so easy. Um, but I think people need to share how difficult Absolutely. it is and how many ups and downs and pivots there are to getting where you want to be. What I'm most proud of is when I look back and I reflect on the choices that I've made, there's always been truth in it. That's why I think I sleep at night and I don't have anxiety hallucinations because even though it hasn't been easy, even though there have been a lot of turns, even though there have been a lot of stops and starts, the work I've been doing, even though it's taken a lot of different forms, has always come back to me connecting with others and helping them cultivate self-worth, self-awareness, and self-love. And so that feels really good. And I'm open and excited. Like Whereas the future used to be this thing I felt I needed to fear and plan for, now I embrace it with joyful as this joyful unknown. And that's my favorite poems in the shift where it's the future fearfully planned versus the future joyfully unknown. And that's how I think about my future now. Like, I don't know what tomorrow is, but I know that it's going to be joyful because I'm 
approaching it from a place of authenticity and love. Wow. I think this is also another reminder that, you know, you take that first step to choose yourself. It doesn't mean you're immediately going to be like flooded with rewards and everything you want. Like it takes time. And I always say the people that we admire who have done this, like it wasn't overnight. It was 10 years or more. And yeah, I mean, I feel like I'm in that 10 year area myself of like, okay, I made the decision to leave my job and to leave this tech company behind. Shouldn't I be rewarded now? But no, it takes it takes choosing yourself every day and showing up for yourself every day. And yeah, I just think that's important for people to recognize because we see the overnight successes, but none of them really are. Right. And also, you know, earlier I said that I thought that what was waiting for me at the top of a mountain of achievement was happiness. Right. And now instead of happiness, I use the word joy. And I talk about the difference in the ABCs of self-love because happiness is this fleeting thing that's dictated by external stimulus. It's like something good happens, you're happy. Something bad happens, you're sad. And like happiness is very volatile. Whereas joy is this deep rooted sense of being that actually isn't impacted by what happens to you. And that has been part of my growth is instead of pursuing happiness as a destination, I am embracing joy as the journey. And there are some really hard days. There are some major setbacks. I mean, like I write about this in the shift. I went to the hospital with my family seven times in two years during the pandemic. Wow. And like, shit, there was limited happiness <laughs> when that was happening. My 18-month-old went to the hospital. My eight-year-old went to the hospital. I went to the hospital. And yet through the pandemic, I really feel like I dropped into my joy because I realized I have no freaking control over this world or what's going to happen to me. Any semblance of control I thought I had went out the window and it is up to me to root myself in joy and be like unbothered. Like, yes, have all the feelings. Like I had really, really devastating days and I sat with those emotions and I allowed myself to feel them because old me didn't feel them and they led to a thyroid problem. So when those waves of pain come, I feel them now, but they don't take away from joy being my essence. And that has been so liberating because so much of my life was spent trying to hold it all together and to live a life in perfect control. And the truth is I was never in control. All I was, was a tight ball of fear. Wow. And I've blossomed. And I write about that in self-love poetry. Like this blossoming has happened because I no longer try to be in this tight bud of control. Yeah. I mean, so much can happen when we just like release and let go and we open ourselves up to everything. Like you don't know like how life, how good life can be for you. You just have to be open. You have to be open. And I think for me, another big learning has been like, I have to be as willing to receive as I am to give. I always thought I was such a generous person because I was such a giver. And the truth of the matter is I wasn't generous at all because I didn't receive. And generosity is a two-way street. And all these years that I like was like, oh, I'm such a giver and everyone in my life just takes from me. Like, well, they would have given to me had I given them the opportunity. Right. Problem was that 
giving requires being vulnerable, like receiving, receiving requires being vulnerable. And that was very uncomfortable for me because it meant I wasn't in perfect control. I feel like the same person, you know, we have similar things, right? Yeah. And receiving what is offered in the way that it is offered and being grateful for it and allowing it has opened up my world, has deepened my relationships and has healed me in a lot of ways because I no longer feel depleted all the time. And, you know, I was like, I just think that that maybe was my trauma response. Like I only felt safe when I was closed off. And I think it's because I experienced hurt in ways when I was young that I just thought, well, I never want to feel this again. So I'd rather just be closed off. And I can definitely relate. Now I want to be open. Yeah. And I think, I mean, I think that's what it means to like lean into your feminine as well. Like be open to receiving, which a lot of us for a multitude of reasons, like don't feel we're worthy of like receiving love and care and affection. And we are. Right. Like, why did we lose that? I don't know. Yeah. I don't know where it happened. And it's been an awakening for me. And I talk a lot about the divine feminine in self-love poetry. And it's because for a long time, like I was very much in my masculine, like I got married young. My husband and I were like basically kind of both unemployed. I got pregnant with twins, like a lot sooner than I thought I'd even get pregnant. And I was thrust into this intense version of adulthood that I was just utterly unprepared for. And I thought that the best way to cope with all of that was by being really strong and really in control and very masculine. And it didn't work for me. It certainly didn't work in my relationship. And again, it's been this unraveling and like trying to get back to like my pure, trusting, softer, kinder, self because I wasn't soft and I wasn't very kind when I was trying to be like this tough control freak perfectionist. (laughs) And like reminding ourselves that there's nothing wrong with being soft, with being kind, with living a soft life, with wanting those things. Like the world tries to harden us as soon as we enter the world. And it's like, no, like, can we remain soft, please? What does that look like for you now? Like when you think about being the soft version of yourself or living a soft life, like how does that translate for you? I mean, as you can see, I'm a very emotional person and not being embarrassed or trying to like hide that, like that is who I am. And I think that makes me a good sister and daughter and friend and leaning into that part of myself and not feeling like I have to take care of everyone and everybody and everything and do everything myself, like being okay with asking for help and support. I went to see a psychiatrist for the first time because I'm like, something's wrong and I need help. And I think for me, that's what it means to live a soft life. Yeah. So crying again, (laughs) like this is going to be the most emotional, most emotional episode. No, I, I feel you. Yeah. I think that a lot of the tears aren't even from now. Yeah. Like when we were speaking earlier about sex and I cried, it's because I feel like that's like the final frontier for me is like, when am I really going to be willing to go there and explore 
the full spectrum of emotion, because I think for me, the message when I was young is like, this is horrible. Like I am an immigrant. I was born in Iran. My parents escaped when I was an infant. We were, you know, brought here with the values of another country. And yet I was growing up in Los Angeles, California. (laughs) (laughs) And, and like, there was a really cute boy in the fifth grade. And I was like boy crazy from the time I was 10 and reconciling like all of those feelings with being like middle-aged married and like super confused about like, where did all my desire go? And I think desire is something I'm discovering is such an important part of self-love. And it's just something I'm like, just starting to dive into. I think like desire is our life force. And for so much of our life, we're told to like dull it or to shut it down or to hide it. And now as an adult, I'm like, no, I'm pretty sure that desire is the electricity in my body. And the fact that I feel like the walking dead is because I have not prioritized my desire and I have sacrificed it to productivity. And I just wrote some new poetry and like, there's a line in this new poem that it talks about that. Like you cannot sacrifice your desire to be productive. I think that's what a lot of us are doing. We think if, if we're busy, if we're accomplished, if we're doing the thing that we're going to feel more alive when in reality, it's like the exact opposite. Right. And that for me now, you know, and I ask you, what is softness for you? And I think that vulnerability has been a big part of my softness journey up until now. I think the new layer of softness is 100% rooted in desire. Oof. Like more I can be in my desire, the softer I'm going to be. And I'm really excited for that chapter. Like that is where I'm at. Like that is what I want for myself. I'm excited for you. Yeah. How are you? I mean, maybe you don't want to go into (laughs) details, but how are you practicing that? I think self-exploration is something I'm visiting, like physically, like not being afraid of my own touch. I think in becoming a mother, so much of your touch, literal, just like even like hand on your own skin is reserved for your children. Like I hug and kiss my son 400 times a day, but ask me the last time, like I embraced myself or like activated myself in any way with love. That's just like not happening. Like all of that love is going elsewhere. And so for me, I think part of it is remembering, like, I am a sentient being that's activated by love. Like when we talk about self-love, so much of it is like, feel your feelings and take a bubble bath and journal and blah, 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 but, or be in your power, but also like literally self-love, like give yourself a hug, take a shower, feel the water on your body, like activate yourself. Because I think when I'm in that groove and for me, dancing really does it. Yes. I was in Mexico over the summer for a friend's birthday. And it was the first time I listened to music and just like danced in like a club setting in like years. Love it. I was like, I was feeling myself like from the crown of my head to the sole of my feet, I was electric and I felt it and there was juice and desire and love. And it was for myself. I was not dancing for anyone. I wasn't trying to achieve the gaze of like another person. I wasn't trying to dance in sync with another person. I was dancing with myself 
And it was incredible. So that's what I'm working on more moments like that of just being electric and amplified and soft and sensual and fluid and in motion. Because I think for about 10 years, I was glued to my laptop or my cell phone. And that's like a whole nother story. Like a year ago, almost exactly my live-in nanny left. Okay. And she had been with me for 10 years because I was working full time. I would like take the kids school and go to my office. And during those 10 hours a day that I was out of the house, I was just sitting in front of the computer. And then she left. And for the past year, I've been a full-time mom while having my career as a poet and author. And Jesus Christ, being in motion is like the best antidepressant I could have ever asked for. Who knew that all it took for my brain fog and sadness to lift was loading the dishwasher? Like this sounds so stupid. No, it's real. But like sitting here with you now is the longest I've been in front of a computer in weeks. Like I don't do this anymore. An hour and good computer. No way. I am living in motion. And that's like definitely privileged. And like, obviously not everyone can just completely change their lifestyles, but I think it is indicative of how important it is for us to be in our bodies. Going back to what started this whole journey for me. My body told me through hallucinations, I needed to shake things up. And now when my body speaks, whether it's some small whisper or a loud yell, I listen, you know, or taking it back to my thyroid. Like you would think that after I had that procedure done, the RF ablation for the nodule, you would have thought that this new doctor, this new technology would have solved my problems. No, it took another year and me demanding they do additional blood work to discover I also had an autoimmune disease called Hashimoto's. He never tested for it. Two doctors, seven years, so many blood tests, and they nobody ever thought to check this box of autoimmune disease, even though it is so commonly correlated with the other issues that I had. Like, it just blows my mind. And so the journey never ends. Advocating for yourself never ends. Learning your needs and honoring yourself never ends. But if you're rooted in joy, if you see the future as a gift to be unfolded and discovered, you can never run out of ways to actualize yourself and live a more meaningful, aligned life. And so it's still unfolding for me from a health perspective, from a career perspective, from an identity perspective. But I think the biggest gift I want to leave listeners with and what really was the inspiration behind the shift poetry for a new perspective, which is my newest book is that at any given moment in your life, you can shift, you can do it every single day in every aspect of your life. And so I invite everyone to shift, to let self-love be the catalyst behind that shift and to make community a part of that shift, because this conversation we're having the conversations I see you having every day, building community around these ideas and this way of life, this authentic, joyful way of life, I think is what is going to change the world. Absolutely. And that is what I think we need is it starts from within us, but where it really grows and has tremendous impact is when we start sharing it with the world. Absolutely. Community heals all. I mean, that's the reason I brought this podcast to life. I'm like, you are not in this alone. You're not the first, first person to have experienced this. 
And like, we're going to get through this together. And I've loved everything you've you've said during this entire interview. I'm going to listen to this a million times a day. I'm curious, my last question, because I want to, we need to get up from our computers, right? Is what advice would you give to someone who is struggling to advocate for themselves right now? I cannot stress this enough. My advice is listen to your body. If something is wrong, you are right, right? You are right in believing something is wrong. And there are so many avenues now to connect with other individuals who may share symptoms and have the same resources for you. So don't be afraid to start searching beyond your singular doctor. Like we all have like a primary care doctor. And for a lot of us, that's the beginning, middle and end of our healthcare journey. So a lot of the healing I did was because of a conversation I had on Instagram. It's because of a Facebook group that I joined. Facebook might be like archaic, but believe me when I tell you there is a group for everyone. So like, yes, I'm now gluten-free because when you have Hashimoto's and thyroid issues, one of the things you'll discover, although it's not anything your doctor will tell you, because they don't tell you to change your diet or lifestyle at all, which is crazy. And that's a whole nother conversation found that like being gluten-free is really helpful. And now I'm on like five Facebook groups where people share like gluten-free recipes and ideas. And like, I'm like, okay, I'm not alone. No gluten-free Trader Joe's. I swear that's like a whole group in and of itself. So my advice is join communities, keep talking and really try to see other doctors and don't rule out an alternative approach as part of your plan. So big believer in Western medicine, I don't think I'm not here to say like rule it out, but like read books by Eastern doctors, you know, too, or see a functional doctor. I didn't even know what functional doctor meant until the past few years. And now I'm realizing like there are doctors who take a more whole body approach and maybe that's what you need. Maybe going to like a specialist isn't going to get you the answer you're looking for. So just keep asking questions. Absolutely. And that's what advocacy is. And I think really that's what self-love is. Ultimately, it's asking questions yep. of yourself and of your world. Don't be ashamed. Don't be embarrassed. You don't have to have all the answers. Reddit is another great resource. Like, Yes. People are so open. Thank you for bringing that up. I've only just recently discovered Reddit because my husband told me like, he's like, you can't search in Google anymore. He's like, it's all like sponsored content. He's like, if you want to know something, go to Reddit. And he was right. Me admitting my husband's right in public. (laughs) (laughs) That's part of my self-love journey is admitting that other people are right. But yeah, Reddit is amazing. And there are answers. And I think part of it is we've been told like, ah, don't go on WebMD. You're not a doctor. Like don't self-diagnose. And I'm here to say that the majority of the progress I've made in my personal healthcare journey has all been self-diagnosed. It wasn't ever the doctors who were like, oh, guess what? We figured out what's wrong with you. It's me being like, hey, I noticed that when I change my diet, I feel better. Why do you think that is? You know, And that conversation led to getting tested for iodine, which no one tests for because everyone assumes we all are using iodized salt. When in my case, I was using Himalayan salt, which has no iodine. And every time I'd go to sushi, I'd get soy paper. Like I had eliminated all the salt in my diet without knowing it. Wow. And that is 
part what caused my thyroid nodule was low iodine. So Melody, it's like one thing after the other, like, and I sound like a hypochondriac. I swear I'm not. I'm like a healthy, normal, functional person. I just think that we probably have all been shut down by a doctor at some point who tells you you're fine when you don't feel fine. And that's why I'm so passionate about this because it could lead to something as simple as, Hey, you need to use normal salt. Like, yeah up on the trend, like just use normal salt. Or as was the case for my friend, it could be a cancer diagnosis that's getting missed. And this happens a lot to women. You know, like I'm sure you know the stories of women who are like, no, it was just bad menstrual cramps, like take a mitol. No, it wasn't. It was like an ovarian issue. So the biggest takeaway, biggest, biggest takeaway is self-love is knowing yourself and listening to yourself. Your body will speak to you. Your mind will speak to you. Your true self speaks through your intuition, that nagging sense that something's not right. That is your true self trying to get your attention. And we should all listen. And that could be your true self telling you this is the wrong job. This is the wrong relationship. This is the wrong doctor. But we are all protected within ourselves. We just have to be brave enough. Yes. And create space enough to listen. Yes. Listen to your body. Listen to your mind. Like she has all the answers. Takes a lot of work to block out all the other noise and other people telling you what to do, but you know. You know. And if you don't, (laughs) Reddit knows. (laughs) Yeah. Right? Yeah. I say this, like stop thinking and start knowing because our thoughts oftentimes get us in trouble. They're informed not necessarily by our truth, but by our conditioning, our fear, our past experiences, you know, thoughts are very fickle, but your intuitive self is actually very consistent. So it's a beautiful thing when you get in alignment and let that voice be the one that's speaking to you instead of your inner critic or your ego, which tells you you're never enough. Your inner self is actually quite peaceful. Your inner voice is beautiful. Think of it like, you know, whoever your favorite singer is, like give your inner voice a tone. Like imagine it's Adele speaking to you. Imagine it's Whitney Houston speaking to you. Like whoever has the softest, most beautiful, loving voice, let that be the voice of your intuitive self because she's always on your side and she is always protecting you. She's always on your side. That's a beautiful message to close with. Stop thinking, start knowing. I'm going to get that tattooed melody. (laughs) I love it. I would be honored. Thank you so much. Really. Well, for inviting me to be here and to share with you. This is probably the most vulnerable and expansive conversation I've ever had. So thank you very much for that. I'm so grateful to you for trusting me with your story. And I've learned so much in this past hour and 10 minutes, and I'm going to carry this conversation with me forever. Really, thank you. Thank you. I love it. Let's keep chatting. And if anyone wants to continue the conversation, reach out to me. I'm very easy to find. I'm happy to answer any questions you have or just to witness you in your journey. That is the greatest for me. Yes, absolutely. I'm going to put all of Melody's links in the metadata of this podcast. And are there any other ways that you want people to connect with you or support you? Do you have any upcoming events? The future is quite open right now. Some new projects that I'm really excited about, but no, nothing planned right this moment. The greatest way you can support me is 
one, by buying one of my books, wherever you buy your books, but two, and this is a big one, and it's hard for me to ask, and I think all authors struggle with this. If you love my books, please leave a review. Like hop on Amazon is the best place to leave one and leave a review because ultimately that is what helps other people trust that they should invest in a book. And also it sends the message to my publisher that they should keep investing in me so that I can keep writing. So this is great to know. I'm going to leave a review right now. I didn't, I didn't know this and I'm glad that you shared it. Thank you.